Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Is it just me, or is anyone else running out of people they like? <laughs> now that might seem harsh. It was actually a TikTok video that I saw the other day. People use audio clips to record themselves using someone else's audio. And this clip of someone saying, is it just me or any, is anyone else running out of people they like, was re-recorded almost 8,000 times. Because it strikes a chord. It strikes something that we're all wrestling with as we've been in this season of isolation. There's some truth to this, isn't there? We're in a season of strained relationships. And I think some of us, as we've pulled back and we've been in isolation, we even realize that there have been relationships that we should have ended a long time ago that weren't good for us, that weren't healthy. And now it's navigating how to re-engage with some of those things. We have been isolated and forced to make difficult choices. And we've had to navigate what's best for us and our families, but that might be different for, from what's best for you and your family. And I think that's part of the hardship of it all is, is trying to think, well, isn't what's best for me best for everyone? Well, not exactly. Then you start thinking, well, am I making the right decision or are they making the right decision? And there's this us and them mentality that's embedded in all of these decisions we've had to navigate. Well, there's a story I read the other day in Numbers chapter 16. It's in our Old Testament, so it's a bit uncomfortable, it's not easy, but there's something about it that resonated. The story goes that there was a group of guys led by another guy, Korah, and along with about 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel, they rebelled against Moses. Verse 3 in Numbers 16 says, they came as a group and confronted Moses and Aaron, saying, You've overstepped yourself. This entire community is holy and God is in their midst. So why do you act like you're running the whole show? Whew. Essentially, they're saying, hey, Moses, we don't like the decisions you're making. So we're going to start making our own. So Moses fell face down on the ground and he replied, in the morning, God will make clear who he is, whose side he is on. Who is holy? God will take his stand with the one he chooses. It continues this back and forth tension and wrestling. And again, there's this relational strain between the two groups. Moses is angry and these rebels are unhappy with his leadership. So ultimately, the story ends with the earth splitting open and swallowing everyone connected with Korah. Whew. As I said, this isn't comfortable, this isn't easy, but there's something satisfying about it. Throughout the past couple of years, at least, society has become incredibly divided on so many different issues. So isn't there just a part of you that thinks, wouldn't it be nice to just know that you were right and have the earth whoosh, swallow up those who were wrong? 
Okay, <laughs> maybe not the whole earth swallowing up people whole thing, but I think we can at least empathize at least a little with the feeling just to know you were right. At some point in our lives, most of us want justification. We want to know and be told that we were right or that the way we were treated or spoken to wasn't right. Perhaps we've thought, oh, I can't wait for my uncle to see that I was right about vaccines. Or when is my friend going to see that all these COVID theories she has were just so wrong? It's why we share those articles on social media, right? Secretly hoping that person will read and finally agree that we're right. But I saw something the other day that was so, so, so refreshing. On Monday, neighbors were all out helping one another in the midst of a snowstorm. It was incredible. It was just such a nice relief to be outside again with my neighbors, to see them again, to see kids playing in the snow and digging tunnels and sliding down the snow mounds and everyone working together to help one another out. People snow blowing other people's driveways and sidewalks and my neighbors helped me get my car out from being stuck at least four or five times. There was just a sense of normalcy. And after last week's service online, I received a bunch of texts and emails and messages from several of you. And it was just so lovely to hear from you and to have a simple connection in such a disconnected season. Just to know you're doing well or to hear some of the raw and vulnerable things that you're going through and to allow me to pray for you and check in with you and hear from you. Oh, it was just so refreshing. And all of this reminded me that there is hope. There is hope for all of us living in tension right now. And it's not about being proven right, but instead it's about discovering that Jesus is at work between us and those with whom we struggle the most. This is the story that God is writing, that he is making all things new. And all of this, the strained relationships and the breath of fresh air, reminds me of a couple of other stories that I want to dig into tonight. The first is the Good Samaritan, found in Luke chapter 10. And the second is the story of the woman at the well, found in John chapter 4. So let's first explore this, this story about the Good Samaritan to help bring more color and life to the story of the woman at the well. Now, we often are told this story of the Good Samaritan is kind of about good morals. Do the right thing. Be the better person. Help people who are in trouble. But this story is about so much more. This story, there's tension. There's hatred. There's strained relationships. So in verse 25 of Luke 10, Jesus is asked a question by a man, by a lawyer. And it says, the, the man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And instead of simply answering, Jesus responds with another question. Now that's not uncommon in that day to answer a question with a question. So Jesus asks, well, what's written in the law? 
How do you read it? What's your interpretation of the law? So the man responded, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The man literally responds by saying, love God and love your neighbors. Like he gets it, like it's in his head. And Jesus says, well, cool. Well, not exactly. He says, you answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But here's where things get interesting. The man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus another question. He says, and who is my neighbor? Oh, now we're getting to the heart of the issue. Now we're getting to what this man is really asking Jesus. In other words, he's asking, yeah, but who do I have to love? Like when push comes to shove, who is it that I have to love? And this is where Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a certain man was going to Jericho from Jerusalem and he was beaten and left by the side of the road. A priest comes along, looks down, passes by on the other side. Then a Levite, a religious leader, comes along, does the same thing, passes on by. Third dude comes along, and let's point out the logical thing here for kind of driving home the point. The logical thing for Jesus to do here is to make the third person a lawyer. And the reason for that is because then Jesus could have made his point to the lawyer who's asking the question about how your neighbor is anyone that you're passing who is in need, which is how a lot of people tell this story. But that misses the point. Because you see, it isn't a lawyer who comes along. It's a Samaritan. And teachers of the law and scripture experts hated Samaritans. This was the last character this man would have expected to enter the story. This hatred went way, way back, generations back, and it ran really, really deep. But in this story, Jesus tells, the Samaritan helps the man. Boom! Mic drop. Do you see how clever and subversive Jesus is? The story would have been next to impossible for this man to hear. A good Samaritan? Like, this was an oxymoron in that day. A good Samaritan was an impossibility. They were mutually exclusive. They, they just didn't exist. So Jesus finishes this story in which a Samaritan is the hero and asks the man one final question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You can almost picture the scene and everyone just kind of following silent, waiting for the man. How's he going to respond? What's he going to say? And listen to how this man responds because it's very telling. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who had mercy on him. This man 
can't even say the word Samaritan. That's how deep this hatred goes. He cannot even say the word. So, what are some of our modern day names that we have trouble saying? Is it homeless? Poor? Anti-vax? Pro-mask? Conservative? Liberal? People from the LGBTQ2S plus community? Jesus is saying, yes, that's your neighbor. That's who you're called to love. That is where eternal life is found. It's showing kindness to the one you hate, the one you despise, the one you wish didn't exist, the one whose name you can't even say. And this sets the stage for what's about to take place in our next story. The woman at the well. If you're following along in your Bible, flip over one book to, to the Gospel of John. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, which we were just in, and now we're flipping over to John chapter 4. And now that we understand a little bit more of these strained relationships between the Jews and the Samaritans, it's going to help us better understand what Jesus is now doing here at the well. So to help bring this story to life, I'm going to be reading a version of John 4 that I've taken um, and have adapted from uh, the NIV as well as Rachel Held Evans' book, Inspired, which she adds a little bit more between some of the lines. So in John chapter 4, Jesus was leaving the Judean countryside and going back to Galilee. But to get there, he had to pass through Samaria, and he came into Sychar, a Samaritan village, bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. The stage has been set. The sun is hot and bright. And as the sun beat down, this woman enters the scene as she comes to the well and she sees a figure sitting at the well, a man. And she drew closer. She, she spied the knotted tassel on the fringe of his coat, confirming, yes, he is a Jew. And she felt this rush of relief. Oh, good, we won't have to talk. A man in this country rarely speaks to a woman and a Jew to a Samaritan, never. At last, she reached the well, collapsing on the other side to catch her breath. Will you give me a drink? Her, his voice startled like a crack of thunder on a clear day. For a moment, she doubted she'd heard it. What sort of Jew asked a Samaritan for water? They believed even our pitchers were unclean. Uh, you're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman, she said with a laugh, wary of meeting his eyes. Are, are you asking me for water? If you knew who I was, he answered, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh flowing water, water that is colder and cleaner than this. I would give you the kind of water you really crave. Now he had her attention. Despite her exhaustion, she stood to face him. The man was young, maybe 30. He had no jar, rope, buckets. He must have been traveling from Judea to Galilee, 
but she wondered why he journeyed without companions. Artisan water from this well, she pressed? Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. Are you saying you're better than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, along with all his children and livestock? Are you saying you know something that he didn't? She couldn't help herself. Jews were so smug about religion. No doubt this man never dreamed a Samaritan woman thought of such things. Everyone who drinks water from this well will get thirsty again, he said. But whoever drinks the water I offer will remain satisfied, for they will have a gushing spring inside of them that never runs dry. Well, then give me some of that water, she laughed, playing along. Then I won't have to hike out to this well every day. The man fell silent. Assuming she'd offended him, she prepared her bucket and lowered it into the well. Of course, she planned to give the stranger the first drink. Samaritans, for all you've heard of them, honor the customs of hospitality. Go, call your husband. Come back, he said, breaking the silence. Her jaw clenched. I have no husband, she said. Indeed you don't. You've had five husbands, haven't you? And the man you live with now is not one of them. Five. This man knew more than what local gossip could carry. He knew her secret. He knew her. Shaking, she let the rope slip. Her bucket plunged into the water and she staggered backwards. I, I see you're a prophet, she said, sitting down. The man said nothing in reply, so for a while they just sat there together under the sun, sweating and thirsty, a strange understanding growing between them. He went to the well and pulled the book bucket up. So tell me something, she said, recovering her courage. Samaritans say the, right, the place of rightful worship is that mountain over there, but Jews say it's in Jerusalem. Who's right? Don't worry about that, he answered, a smile in his voice. Salvation will come through the Jews, yes, but it will be for all people. The day is coming when all the barriers between us will collapse. God is spirit, after all, and truth. You can't build a temple around spirit. You can't lock truth in a shrine. The kind of worship that God wants is the kind of worship without walls. He paused. But you know that already, daughter don't you? You've known all along. He crouched down and looked her straight in the eyes, seeing her in a way no man had ever seen her before. They say a Messiah will come and make all these things plain, she ventured from the ground. I, the one speaking to you, am he. At that, he handed her the bucket of water. She brought it to her lips, lifted her head, and drank deep of the coolest richest water she ever tasted. She drank and drank and drank. She drank until she could no longer breathe. When she finished, she handed the bucket back to the man who, to her amazement, threw his head back and gulped down the rest of it. Dousing his dusty face with the last splash that remained. For a moment, she, she doubted what she just witnessed. This man, this Jew, this Messiah, drank from her defiled cup and with relish. He saw her surprise and laughed, the deep belly laugh of a man who sees our religious absurdities for what they are. She joined him, 
all the tired and thirsty cells in her body awake with life once again. Suddenly, a group had gathered. At least ten men, all Jews, stood around, faces stricken. The man whom they called teacher assured his friends that no laws had been broken. Then he told the men to prepare for a longer stay. We'll be feasting with Samaritans tonight, he declared. She had to tell someone, but who? Her household hated her. Her friends were uneducated peasants with little influence over public affairs. Would anyone believe her? Could anyone even understand? There, there was Miriam, of course, the slave, and Mara, the prostitute. The baker always liked a good story, and maybe those shepherd boys would too. As more names and faces came to her mind, her feet moved faster. She ran over the hillside and past the sycamore. The widow next door could host a banquet. The blind beggar from the alley, while well, he'd certainly come. Perhaps the, the lepers would join us for supper. Maybe a tax collector or two. Her feet pounded the ground as she came, as the town came into view. They could gather figs, bake bread, drink wine, she thought. They could fill a house with hungry and thirsty people, people ready to laugh again and eat and start something new. They could put flowers on the table. They could sing old songs. She made it all the way to Sikar before she even noticed she'd left her water jar behind. Whew. Have you ever encountered Jesus like this? Like, when we truly encounter Jesus, our lives are forever changed. There's so much about this story and the imagery and what happens here that that's what it has even shaped our church. And that's why we are called the Well Community Church, because we want it to be this safe place to, to just explore Jesus, to sit down with him and to actually experience his love for us. Because we have experienced the love of Jesus. We have encountered him in our lives in such a way that we have been forever changed. And we hit the ground running. Rachel Held Evans writes, Wells are where God starts something new. There is so much more imagery and motif behind the wells that I, I'll have to do a series or at least a sermon on it one day. Because there's so much more. But I love this. Wells are where God starts something new. Suddenly, the Samaritan woman's life was full of new possibilities, and she had an eagerness to share the good news with everyone who would listen. And do you see how Jesus not only heals this woman's heart, he mends her strained relationships with the community. She runs back to this community that's treated her as an outcast, as less than. And she's like, I don't care. I've got to tell these people. Because I have met a person who has transformed my life. Jesus' interactions with her show us a new way of approaching relationships that we would otherwise deem unsalvageable. You see, this interaction was soaked in curiosity instead of judgment. She asks questions and Jesus engages her because questions aren't off limits. They're part of the process. Jesus' responses, well, they're honest, but not condescending. He knows her past. There's a willingness to dive into uncomfortable territory and be vulnerable. 
Jesus tells the woman some uncomfortable truths, but she takes them in stride and she doesn't shy away. There's a wrestling, but the struggle and the discomfort are worth it. Jesus shows that he knows her intimately and he invests time into her life and he even stays a couple of extra days with her in her community. Friends, Jesus is at work making all things new, including our relationships. Sure, you can make the Good Samaritan about roadside assistance, that's fine. But Jesus is calling us to something way bigger and higher and deeper and transcendent. Jesus is calling us to love like God loves, which means everybody, even those you hate most, even those who are the most difficult to love. I remember when I first started dating Amanda, she told me that if I wanted her heart, I had to ask God for it. And what she meant was that she had given her heart to God and she wanted to make sure that the man she was going to end up with was continually giving their heart to God as well. And she described it on being as if like being on separate sides of a mountain. So I'm on one side, she's on the other, and God at the top. And as we continue to, to lean into God's heart and we continue to focus on him and we prioritize our relationship with him first, not each other, that as we move closer to him, we'll eventually be brought closer and closer together. And you know what? I believe that's what Jesus invites all of us into as he calls us into relationship and as he invites us to sit at his table. The Lord's table is about presence. Of course, it's about eating, but ultimately it's a practice that shapes a group of people to be present to God's presence and Christ around the table where we eat. And as we come together, there's just so much beauty that starts taking shape and coming to life. And sure, we'll have different viewpoints and perspectives, and that's okay. Because as we draw closer to Jesus, as we sit with one another around the table, as we laugh and talk, we'll continue to see that those differences don't matter as much as we think they do. We'll see that Jesus is the one holding all things together and that we can agree to disagree, but what we know matters is our love for Jesus and that he is making all things new. Your heart, my heart, our community, our nation, our world. Jesus is at work making all things new. And he keeps saying, come back to the table. Come back. I admire the woman at the well story for so many reasons. You know what, it says so much about who God is, how much God loves us, and what God genuinely hopes we will accomplish with this one precious life of ours. Along with her bucket, this woman loves a complicated past and present. This woman has known her fair share of heartbreak and disappointment, yet, 
She is a human being in all of her beauty and imperfections. And what does God see? Potential. He doesn't write her off, doesn't look the other way. He sees her. What does this tell us? Well, I believe it shows us it doesn't matter the last time you've reached out to God. It doesn't matter if you come with this sad rap sheet a mile long. It doesn't matter if you have doubts. It doesn't matter if you're unsure what to believe or what to say. You just have to show up. Friends, the Bible is not just a history book that we look to for inspiration or a weekend pep talk. It's the living, active Word of God, and it's filled with stories about people waking up to a bigger and more expansive understanding of what God is up to in the world, and you're invited to be part of it. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven through Jesus, and we are made new and whole and complete through Jesus. And what's even better? We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive a new spirit inside us that empowers us to participate with Christ in making all things new. Friends, I don't know what strained relationships you have, what you're facing, what you're carrying, but what I do know is that Jesus is waiting for you and for me to meet him at the well. Jesus says at the well, I know you, all of you. I've got you. I love you. So tonight, fill your inner bucket with the hope and peace of Jesus and help him bring heaven to earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, you are a good God. You are a good Father. And I thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for his expression of love, for his demonstration, for his sacrifice, and that he continually meets us where we are, and says, I love you. God, may we accept your love tonight. May we lean into our relationship with you. And God, like this woman, may we run to our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our families, and share the hope that we have found in you. God, bring healing to our relationships between friends, between family, co-workers, classmates. But God, most of all, heal and restore our relationship with you. You are making all things new. Start with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.